get out of hand real easy, Mr. Richards. We don't want a riot on our hands. A riot? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. High-spirited kids, that's what I see. They're just reflecting the spirit of the park, that's all. We've got the rise, the attractions, and we've got KISS. That opening concert tonight is going to put us on the map once and for all, Sneed. It's an amusement park. Look, all they come to see are their heroes. Get with it, Sneed. They even gave themselves a name. They call themselves the KISS Army. You wanted the best and you got it! wanted the best and you got the best i'm matt porter and you are in the kiss room we have some special guests joining us in the studio today we'll be talking kiss because it's our february episode valentine's day we'll be playing some of our favorite kiss love songs but first we have a request from rob rob sent me a message to let me know that his friend alex walker who is a huge kiss fan and has been away on a two-year missionary trip is finally coming home Rob wanted to send this song out to his friend Alex, who's coming home to the Kiss Room on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet.
because it's February, Valentine's Day. We're going to send out a bunch of Kiss love songs, and this one goes out to my wife. Another Kiss love song by request. This was from Lee from Kissery Science Theater. He and his wife are celebrating their 10-year anniversary. Congratulations!
That's right. Kiss Army, you wanted the best. You got the best. It's a little bit after 3 o'clock here on Friday. I'm Matt Porter, and you are in the Kiss Room. We're rocking here in February. Woo! Joining me in the studio today, we have Chris G., the star child. You know him, you love him. He's here every month. Chris, what do you have to say? People, can you hear me? How you doing? Woo! And you know People, what? yeah. We're waiting to hear. Can we hear you? Yes. Go to the Kiss Room Facebook page. I put up a thing that says we're live. Just click, hey, that I'm tuned in. Tatiana, listening all the way in Rio de Janeiro. She clicked. She's on there. How fantastic is that? Cool. Now we have some special guests in the studio. First time guests of the Kiss Room. Phenomenal. Here they come. Ready? David Snowden. David Snowden Promotions has joined us in the Kiss Room. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled that you can make it. And his lovely wife, Kim, is here. Kim's going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be married to someone who's so into Kiss. What's it like being married to someone who's so into Kiss, Kim? It's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> we'll go into she deeper. means to say it's a nightmare. <laughs> We're going to go deeper into that when we get into the, uh, it is our Valentine's Day kind of tribute here. We're talking all about love. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And joining us, Alex Richter. Editor, publisher, writer, photographer, you'll know him from the Hard and Fast magazine. And he says to me, yeah, a million years ago, Matt. <laughs> Longer than that. <laughs> I'm just trying not to curse. Don't worry about me. See, it was the Hard and Fast magazine, but it was printed on stones. And he had to actually chip them out himself. And dinosaurs delivered them from place to place. Talk a little bit about that. What were there some was, of the bands there was you were with? three tablets and one fell coming down the hill. <laughs> I worked... Uh, Interviewed a million bands. Million. Everyone. So we're going to go into that a little bit. Now, obviously, we're in the Kiss room, so we're going to probably talk about Kiss. Um, but what I want to do first, obviously, last month, January 30th, we talked a lot about the um, history, the 30th anniversary, or the 40th anniversary of Kiss. So I'm going to kind of spring it on you. I want to go around the room, and everybody just kind of tell me, in your mind, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of 40 years of Kiss? It doesn't have to be the thing that they would necessarily say. You personally, what would it be? And we'll start with you, Chris. Hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> um, I, you know, when you say, like, first uh, impression, first moment, uh, something that really affected me, I got to go back to, uh, I was six years old, 1979, and I remember... My mother let me stay up late to watch Kiss on the Tom Snyder interview. What was that called? The Tomorrow Show? Tomorrow Show. Sure. And, uh, you know, I really, uh, I was just getting in the Kiss maybe a, a, maybe a year in. I was like five, six, year, six years old at the time. And I remember seeing in the magazine that Kiss was going to be on. And I begged my mother to let me stay up. And I was just fascinated with, you know, the colors of the costumes because it was the Dynasty costumes and Ace looked so cool, and not knowing what was really happening, and, and that Ace was completely out of his mind drunk, I was just thinking like how funny Ace was, and, and just how cool it was to see them, and, and that just you know lifted me to the next level of being a fan. Fantastic. Know? David, first kiss memory, or best kiss memory? I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, that last month we did talk a lot about that, where we said, well, I said, look, I put my wig on a little tighter to get in there when we were talking about the 40th anniversary. Of well, you did a very nice job. <laughs> uh, the first thing I think of is the first time I saw him, which was Paul and Halloween special. Right. Agreed. What did you think? Now, we're about the same age. What do you think in your eight-year-old mind as you saw the Paul and Halloween special? 1976. Oh, it was 
just so cool because it was so different. I was just getting turned on to music, and then to see that, that was really something. Absolutely. What, that kind of what did it for me. And a couple of weeks later, my brother came home, and he had Kiss Alive that he borrowed from a friend of his. Nice. And that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Kim, your first and best Kiss memory. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, a woman never likes to give away her age. But um, considering the fact that I think that I um, probably was maybe six days old when, um, you know, Kiss uh, came out in 1973, I'm going to say that um, my Phantom of the Park or whatever that movie is, I think that um, is my first memory because um, Gene Simmons scared the crap out of me. (laughs) And so that's a thriller to me. And... So I never really liked Kiss after that for a long time because they scared me. They were the big bad men in scary makeup and scary costumes, and he had blood coming out of his mouth. Now that I've married this wonderful man sitting next to me, who um, you know loved, I pay her to like Kiss. Well, he buys me wonderful things, so I like Kiss. But you know, so now that I'm sitting next to David, he's actually turned me a little bit more onto the band a little bit more. So now I'm a little bit of a Kiss fan. So, um, you know, I guess I am kind of starting to like them, and that's why I'm sitting in um, the Kiss room. The Kiss room. On a Friday, <laughs> instead of being at happy hour. But God help me, eventually I'll get my drink, and I'll be able to get past the Kiss room. Happy hour starts at 5 o'clock. <laughs> happy hour starts at 5 when we can replay the it's show. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, <laughs> exactly. everywhere. See, that's what time is it in Rio de Janeiro? And let's see, Sean is over in the UK listening. Sean Green clicked in. So it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and uh, they can all raise a glass. We're on campus here at Montgomery County Community College. We're not drinking, or I'll probably be fired. I don't know where I'll work next week. So, But anyway, Alex, kiss memory, kiss thoughts, 40 years of kiss. Well, I heard you say January 30th. That's the first. The first kiss show the first was January kiss show, 30th. January 30th, 1973. That's really why they've started this whole 40th anniversary campaign. When you think about it, it's really based on that first gig. Well, the first time I saw them was January 30th, 78, so Chris was seven. Oh, that about said it all. Wow. Now, where, <laughs> I was where was that? Um, it was a Spectrum. The um, Rockets opened, I believe. Let me check my list here, actually. Yeah, see, Alex yeah, keeps extensive opened. notes. That's uh, If you follow Alex on Facebook, he can tell you every day where every band was and who was the opening band and uh, probably whether they had popcorn at the show or... <laughs> I actually interviewed Gene and told him I saw him with the Rockets <laughs> my first show. And he told me, um, oh, yeah, the Spectrum, I was there. I saw the Who there. And I did see Mitch Ryder in the Rockets. And you know what I thought, Alex? I thought, I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Now, also at the board, we have Dave Tett. He's back, and he doesn't have a microphone. And I'm not even going to ask him what his first kiss memory is, but it might be the kiss room. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to your answer. So what we're going to really talk about, like, obviously that was the kind of thing where we're thinking about the history of kiss. But obviously one of the things we're all pretty much starting early, being early kiss fans. And I think that was when you mentioned that about like you saw them and they were scary. One of the things that came up a lot, if you read the message boards, things of that nature, the whole 40th anniversary and one of the threads that seems to come up all the time, can you be a KISS fan today versus if you were a KISS fan in the 70s? And I think of it like this in a way. In 1978, they could be that scary band. 
But now we've seen Gene in the red-footed pajamas. You can't go back. So even though, like, you know, that's a big topic of conversation, you know, I'm 10 years old and I love Kiss. Look, I was 8 years old and I loved Kiss. But can a kid today get that same experience? Yeah, but I think I think they're doing it. I, I think there's kids now that, like, look at Eric Singer and – and want to be Eric Singer. They're like, you know, I want to be the Catman, and and they're, you know, fascinated like we were at that age. It's, I mean, I see it every day. I mean, more and more, you know, I get videos from people all over the world, and I, uh, two girls from Australia, uh, Cynthia and Nicole. They showed me they have Eric Singer drumsticks, and they're like all into Eric Singer, and you know, just like a, another kid would have been into Peter at that time. You know, at that age. Just look at Halloween. Every kid's dressed as Gene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's never going to go away. That That's, you know, that's what people don't get. You know, the, the old guys, they're like, oh, you know, Kiss stopped in whatever year. You know, but it's just going to keep going for, you know, generations and generations. And the kids are going to want to see something that resembles Kiss when they get older. You know, it's like. Well, and that's the key. You said generations. Yeah. People our age now are bringing their children. Right. Now, now, Chris, somewhere Lon is putting his fist oh, through yeah. his keyboard and screaming, you're a crazy nigger. Yeah. But, you know, that's, you know, it's all I'm good. used to that. I'm so, used to you that. know, you never know. He's threatening right now how to, to plot my death. How to, he, he's probably posted something nasty on your yeah. Facebook already. You're a crazy nigger. You're a crazy nigger. But so that's really a lot of it. What I want to talk about today. Now, David has had quite a history with the members of KISS. But started as a fan of KISS. And one of the things I want to talk about as we kind of lead into our 3.30 break, you started as a fan, but then give us just a taste of some of the things you actually worked with KISS. And now before we came on the air, if this was TV, you could see all this. He showed me his notebook filled with letters from the band or backstage passes or... You know, the one was, believe it or not, a letter of recommendation from, from Vinnie Vincent. Things like that. Tell us about that, starting as a fan and then moving into that kind of position. Some of the things that you've done. Well, it all starts from being a fan. And back in the early 80s is when the Kiss Army had disbanded. And I figured it was time to do something. I had saw some other Kiss newsletters that were out there. There was a couple out of Canada that I really liked. And I thought I could do that and I could do it better. So I decided to do something that we called the Kiss Revolution. And I put out a couple newsletters, and a couple weeks later, I actually got a check from Howard Marks Management. And it was a check from them because they wanted to subscribe to it. KISS wanted to know what it was we were doing. And then I heard from a guy in Worcester, Massachusetts, by the name of Keith LaRue, who called me up and said, Hey, David, I think we can do better than just a newsletter. Let's do a whole fan club. And that's really how it kind of started. And we were pretty aggressive kids. We decided that... We weren't going to stop at just putting out the news and doing a whole nice fan club package, but we were going to interview the band. And that was part of my job was to get on the telephone and do the legwork and to convince them that it's time for them to actually start talking to the fans, not just saying, hey, here's a really nice fanzine, but it had to have real information. It had to come right from the band. You know, and one of the things that we talk about a lot is the fact that in those days, and and Frank Hagen, I wish you were here, Frank, our co-host of The Kiss Room, he's out Playboy Mansion again. The problem was for Valentine's Day, he's worn out. His those playmates worked him over. He didn't make it in. But he published his fanzine. Alex did your magazine. You were doing your fanzine back when it was still, 
you had to type these things out. You were cutting. Talk about cut that. Paste. The early days, it was cut and paste. A lot of it was now people are so used to it. Like, here we are. This is kind of, I would consider it a fanzine in a way, but it's for your ears. Podkist, of course, is called the Kiss fanzine for your ears. We have this ability to connect worldwide, like just with a click of a mouse. And we have, and I know there's people posting from all over the planet. It's 6 o'clock something in Rio de Janeiro. So it is happy hour where Tatiana is. But back then, it was all kind of word of mouth, handing these things out. You had to actually put a stamp on them. You send them out. I think that's part of the history of fanzines that I really enjoy, is thinking back to those days when... It really was your blood, sweat, and tears to put these things together. Maybe not so many tears until you got the bill for mailing to Rio de Janeiro. But hey, well, that's why you had a part-time job. <laughs> exactly, the well, job I had, had to a full-time pay for. Job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I had a typewriter. My dad got me a typewriter. He brought home from work. I probably shouldn't say that, making him in trouble. <laughs> but he brought home a typewriter, gave it to me, and I started to do one of the fanzines where you type it up, you put it in little columns. And then you'd have to actually do the cut and paste. You'd actually have to paste it all up. And then from there, you would take it to, over to the printer and have him put the pictures in. You'd tell him exactly where you wanted it and how you wanted how you wanted them to turn out. And that's kind of how it really started. And, I mean, God, even before that, I used to have my dad photocopy them for me. He used mm. to take them to work. And that was something that always made him proud. He'd come home and say, somebody approached him and said, hey, what are you doing over there? And then when he said, well, I'm doing this for my kid, they were like, oh, okay, I see so much crap that people come in and they're doing personal things that mean nothing. And to see somebody do something for their kid was really a nice thing. So that was real good. And, you know, it's funny when you read that, if you read that, um, the big book they put out a couple of years ago where they talk about all the fanzines, it was, uh, I think it was called The Ultimate Fanzine Experience or Ultimate Fanzine Phenomenon. I don't know if you saw that book. The early ones all had one thread in common. Somehow they had a job in printing. <laughs> So I was in the print shop at my high school or like your dad had that accessibility. It was something that really was, you know, harder to get into. Now, boom, you can print it off your desktop. You could run your little magazine right at the time. You really had to want to do it. And that's the one theme that I found from a lot of people over the years that did those original fanzines. They loved it. It was purely out of this is our thing. And I think that's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things about fanzines. The Kiss Strike I always used to get. And, and they, I would see that in magazine stores. Like, uh, what was that guy's name? Nicola? Nicola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, I would see it like Tower Records bookstore. And I would get Kiss Strike like a lot. You know, I would just see it everywhere. I, more so than a lot of the other well, ones. Well, Nicola was very aggressive on his, yeah. on his marketing. He's from Italy. Right. Really good guy. He's actually a really great photographer. If you haven't checked out his fan his uh, Facebook page. Yeah, really we're friends. I, I I haven't seen what he's up to lately, but I you know I always knew of him and saw all the pictures with him in the band after the shows and all. It was always great. Some of the best pictures and stuff were in his his fanzine. Yeah, well, he took some really good pictures, and now he's actually a professional photographer. Wow, so that's great. He took something much like what I did. He started out as a fan. He really liked something. He went out to shows. He started taking pictures, and now he's a professional photographer. I started out doing a fanzine. I got into doing all that layout work, and now I'm actually a graphic artist. Wow. That's what I do. That's great. You know, it's neat. We talked last month with Scott Engel. said the same kind of thing. One of his first professional interviews was Gene. And he talked about how Gene kind of set him straight. Like, he said, look, I'm a big fan. I'm nervous. And Gene said, nobody cares. Stand up straight. 
ask you questions. And then he made later he met told him, him. He told him, be a leader. He's, He's a, a leader, leader, not a follower. No one cares. And then basically yeah. years later, he met him, and he was writing for ESPN or something. He says, well, good, you're going to cover the indie stuff. So, well, Gene say, well, gave well, someone advice? Gene really? gave someone advice, wow. and then he didn't charge him. So what we're going to do is And obviously go, Matt hasn't followed that advice. We're, we're going to go into our 3.30 <laughs> break here. Uh, have a request. We were talking about our Kiss love songs. I had posted this on the Kiss, uh, my Facebook page. And one of the ones that got the most requests, I Still Love You. We had, uh, let's see, Tatiana, Bobby, Erica, Russell, Arnie, all said they would love to hear I Still Love You. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk more with everybody. And we're going to join you after this. A couple songs here in the Kiss Room on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet.
Asked our listeners, what are some of your favorite Kiss love songs? This one goes out to Janelle in Texas. She says, I want to hear Fits Like a Glove because I'm a dirty minded Kiss chick.
and you're back in the Kiss Room. It's a little bit after 3.30 here on Friday. We're live. We're also joined now by Mike Natalini. If you tuned in last month, you met Mike here in the Kiss Room. Drummer of Roughhouse, all you rockers remember him from then. He's laughing, but now let me tell you, if we had, again, if we had a camera, he's got the greatest What Would Peter Chris shirt do, created by Doe, who uh-huh. might be listening, but if you can see it, it says WW, and then it's got the Peter Chris cat symbol with a D. Awesome. Mike, we talked yes. about what is your first kind of Kiss memory comes to your mind, 40th anniversary of Kiss. 76-ish Civic Center, Philadelphia, for a live concert. Uh, unbelievable. You know, back in, back in the day, they were one of the first uh, rock bands um, that I was listening to. You know, the music that I, I grew up with and with my family, uh, they were just amazing. And standing on the chairs, the Civic Center, screaming. You know, I think I was uh, 13 or 14. You know, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's fantastic. So now really, you know, there's... All original KISS fans here in the room. We talk about original KISS fans. It's fantastic. Now, David, over your history with KISS, you started as a fan. Tell us a little bit more. Move from the fanzine era. How do you make the transition into getting maybe that first interview? You interviewed almost everybody at some point or the other. Who was the first member of KISS that you interviewed? Ace Frehley. And that started, I wanted to go see Ace play, and he had left the band. He was doing his little seven-city tour. It was before he officially took off the makeup. That's when um, Arthur Stead was in the band, when he actually had a keyboard player on stage. Um, but he wasn't playing in my area, so I, Ken Sharp had given me a call. He had worked for a radio station here in Philly, and he told me he could give me tickets to go see Ace play in Scranton. So I drove up to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Went to the show, saw the show. After the show, I saw the backstage door, and I walked through it. I walked up to George Seward, who I recognized from seeing in uh, the Kiss Inner Sanctum special. Walked up to him, and I said, George Seward, and he looked at me, he said, who are you, and, and what the F are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm David Snowden. I said, I've been calling you several times. I want to interview Ace. You haven't returned my calls. So here I am. And he said, wow. He said, it took a lot of guts. And he turned to this one guy, and he said, Anton, don't let him go anywhere. <laughs> So Anton grabbed a hold of me, and I stood there, and I was talking to Anton Fig for a while, and the rest of the guys in the band. About 10 minutes later, he came out, and he said, David, come with me. He took me through a door. Ace was sitting in the corner by himself, and he said, Ace, this is David Snowden. He wants to do an interview with you, but we're not doing it today. He says, just today, he says, all he wants to do is get an autograph. So I went ahead, and I got Ace's autograph, and two weeks later, I ended up doing an interview with Ace from the Power Station studio in New York, right after he did a... It was a, a rough vocal for Into the Night. So the moral of the story, when opportunity knocks and you see that open door to the backstage, break through walk the door. In, right, break <laughs> through. That's fantastic. Kick the door in. That's right. They always say it's, it's better to ask for forgiveness than yeah. ask for permission. <laughs> there's there's our takeaway lesson for the day, fans. Um, so now then you did interview him, and he was promoting then at the time the first Fraley's Comet. Well, actually, he was looking to get a record deal. So that's even prior to Fraley's Comet release. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, he was still doing demos to actually try to get a record deal. Wow. Because those first seven cities that he did, it was him out there trying to get a little bit of publicity to get some interest going. To actually so get now when deal. you interviewed him, what was the vibe? He was positive? He was, or where, where, where was he at? Oh, he was in a great mood. He had just finished doing it, that vocal friend to the night. 
and he was in a really, really great mood. And he only gave me about 10 minutes, but it was a lot of fun. And before we got finished, I said to him, before I turn the recorder off, I want you to do an answering machine message. Because back then, you know, we didn't have YouTube and all this other stuff. But you had a cool awesome. answering machine. So I had Ace do this thing where he was like, hi, this is Ace Frehley. Nobody's home. And then he started laughing. And he says, call back later. And just kept laughing. And it was really, really good. That's great. That's great. Now the question, do you still have that cassette? Actually, I gave it to Doug Snazzle, who did the original AceFrehley.com. And he had it up on that site for the longest time. Wow. Fantastic. So you interview Ace, you're doing your fanzine. And can I ask a question? Absolutely. What's a cassette? What's a cassette, right? You see, <laughs> yeah. we, we talked about that last month. Was Everybody was talking about albums they had bought. And I said, look, if we're talking about, like, you know, old Kiss albums, we all know what albums were. We know what cassettes were. If you don't, you have to listen real close. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, those of you that are out Googling cassette, you know, come back now. <laughs> Um, what we want to talk about, so then you, you interviewed Ace. Talk about how you moved through the history of, you know, who did you interview next? What were some of the interesting interviews that you did? Well, after that, it was Eric Carr. Did a really nice interview with him. And actually, about a week or two after the interview, I got a nice little note from him that said thanks for the interview and that he would do one with me anytime. And it was a really nice thing. And when the newsletter came out that had the interview, and it was a really long one, it was about six pages, Hmm. Um, he sent me another letter and said, everybody in the band solid. And they all thought it was great. And anytime I wanted to interview him, just to call the office, and he would. That's fantastic. You know, Eric, if you go on the kissroom.com, on, there's, a, there's a link on there. It's called Mask. One of Frank's first interviews was Eric Carr, and he called him over the phone. And the vibe, you can hear it. We actually posted the unedited version of his interview right off the cassette. You can hear Eric is very concerned what does Frank think? What does he think what the fans think? And at that time, that was kind of their connection to the fans, was fanzines and newsletters and things of that nature. And it was interesting when you listen. You can listen to that if you go to the kissroom.com archive page. You can hear that. There's still that question of what do the fans think if we do this? What do we think when we do that? And you, as a publisher of a fanzine, really were providing that link. Well, and with Eric, too, he wasn't really doing any major magazines at that point. He wasn't doing a whole lot of video interviews. It was all Gene and Paul. So to actually sit down and do it with fanzines, Eric was really happy to do that. And he was also the guy, too, that everybody wanted to meet because Eric took the time. He hung right. out with you. Right. He wanted to be your friend. I, I wish I still had it, but at one of the shows he gave me, um, he had a pair of earrings in. I thought they were really cool, and I said, I really like that. You know, I had my ear pierced. He took it out of his ear, put it in mine, wow. which was really cool. It's fantastic. Of course, when I got home, my mother was like, you let him do what? <laughs> She's with the Clorox on your ear. Yeah. Where's the peroxide? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> now, also, Alex, around that same time, I think you interviewed Eric Carr. What year did you interview Eric Carr? Or what was your first interview with a KISS member? I think my first interview was probably Vinny. Oh, can I tell a good Alex story? When I first met Alex, I was out with Vinny's band. We pulled up on his tour bus. When they were, uh, they were touring with Alice Cooper. 86. Yep. We pulled up to the Tower Theater, and I look out the window, and there's this kid standing out there with a sign that says, Vinny is God. And I said, Vinny, I said, look, there's some fat kid out there holding a sign that says, Vinny's God. You need to go out and autograph that for him. Vinny's like, it's cold outside. It was November. And I said, well, then I'm bringing the kid backstage because you've got to do that. And I got off the bus and went over. I said, hello to Alex. First thing he said to me, he goes, Vinnie Vincent fan club, I'm number 184. 
Wow. And I got to tell you, I mean, it's been how many years since Alex and I, I mean, he's still one of my closest friends. So, you know, again, now you said it was 1986. 86. So if you remember 1986, you remember cassettes. See, there's a theme going on here. But the uh, I used to do my interviews in those little teeny tiny cassettes. Were you doing your magazine in 1986 or you really were just the biggest no, fan? No, no, no. I was a, I was a Vinnie fan. I met David. David sold me his Kiss Pinball Machine. David said, this is great. All you're going to do is lay laundry on it. So after putting four hundred hours in it and getting tired of it and laying laundry on it, I gave it back to David as a gift, <laughs> like twenty years later or something. But um, no, I well, that's, that's a nice gift to regift. It's, yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and if anybody all wants night to give and me all day, hey, you know. <laughs> but um, no, I um, I think yeah, I started going down and go to Hammerjacks with David, and I saw his fan club stuff, and I turned him on the Britney Fox, and he wound up doing them. And I was like, yeah, this is cool, but I don't want to cover one band. So I just decided to cover all the bands at once. So what, and it doesn't have to be Kiss, but what was the first interview you did with a band that people would know? I wanted Ronnie James Dio, and they wouldn't let me have him because I had no credibility at all. Um, <laughs> God, who was on my first? I think Vinny was my first I think Vinny was. Vinny was. In person, I did it at SIR Studios in L.A. And Vinny was super nice. I was there for the week. It was when that kid got caught in the well. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago it was. Wow. And um, the, kid was, Dan, in, the Dan, kid was in Texas, right? Yeah, the I don't know. Yeah. We, we, the whole band, like all the Vinnie Vincent Invasion, would would sit in that that, lo- that room they had in there. And Steve, um, the guy from Rat that passed away, he was recording Milligan Axe. Robin Cross. And we'd be all yeah. we all be watching around the TV set. And uh, Dana was giving Dana Strom was giving um, having fits that Vinnie would leave early. Vinnie wanted to go home and be home for dinner every day. So Dana started picking up the phone, and, and um, he said, look, if, if his wife calls, he ain't here. <laughs> Finally, Vinny had, he set it up. So there's a call coming every day to get him out of there, and he pretended he was the, um, the maintenance man. He's like, no Havlay, no Vinny Vincent here. And then <laughs> Vinny would be leaving at 8 o'clock complaining that it's already, like, dark out. That's because right. every day at 1 o'clock, Anne-Marie would call and tell Vinny it was time to come home. <laughs> Well, but me and the boys are playing. Oh, wait, I heard that somewhere. So, uh, you know, I can't come home right now. So, really, then you moved in. That was your first interview was with Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. And then if you could come to think in your mind, what was your favorite interview? Who was always, the coolest? Always Ronnie James Dio. Dio. And how many times Every, did you interview Dio? Maybe a dozen. Wow. And, I, I, you know, I went to a show like in 96 or something at the Tower. And I ran into him, and everybody's taking pictures. And, and the kind of guy Ronnie is, he turns around and goes, Alex, you're not going to get a picture? I'm like, Ronnie, i got like 20 pictures with you. He's like, get over here and someone find a camera. That's just the way Ronnie was. Ronnie was, if, if you meet one rock star in your life, meet Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. I walked alongside Ronnie James Dio when he played up at the uh, Birch Hill in Old Bridge. And I remember it was chilly. And uh, he was going to do a meet and greet, but it was cold, and he kind of wanted to get on the bus. But we were all walking alongside him, and he was just making sure that he talked to everybody he could, you know, as he was approaching the bus. We had to actually send our uh, programs and whatever we wanted autographed onto the bus, and it came back autographed. But, you know, he, you could tell. I mean, he, every, every, everybody I knew that met him, like, has a great story about Ronnie, and, and he would shake your hand with, like, two hands and always very uh, always sincere and looking yeah. look in your eyes when he would talk to you. You know, that's, sure that's an Italian you. for you. It's Italian. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. hey, yo. You do forget that you do have run-ins that aren't good, and, you know, they're just human, too. They're having a bad day or whatever, but I've, I, d- I did have a bad run-in with Ace. At least a friend of mine did. 
It was after he played the beacon and he cut off all Y&T's passes and it was at the Tunnel Club. Faster Pussycat was there, White Lion. And my friend wanted Ace to sign his picture disc. Ace's wife wanted Monique to go to the limousine and he just kept, she was nagging him to death. My friend pulls the picture disc out, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm not signing that. And he walks away. He comes back later and, and he goes, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry about earlier. Can I sign your disc? And he goes, no, you can't sign it now. I don't care. I don't want your name on this disc ruining it. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, sometimes you catch him on a bad day. It's funny. Do you remember uh, Ace was at the cell block? Anybody from this area would probably remember the cell block. And you're laughing because you remember it. But at the time, we talked about being in these fan clubs, and you may have been running the fan club when this happened. It was Ace's Rock Soldiers fan club, and I, of course, had my Ace Freely number. Now, I don't remember my number on my tag. I, you know, you're, you're good. But you go back backstage. Now, literally, he had just finished playing. So he's wiped out. He's sitting on this couch. There's this young guy in front of me with, like, a stack of albums. He's practically crying. Oh, Ace, you're my God. Blah, blah, blah. Like, like, the kid's going berserk, and Ace is just kind of sitting there like... <laughs> And I, at the time, I had this laminate or whatever, so I go back and I said, look, I got nothing for you to sign. Just wanted to say hello. Shake his hand. He goes, well, hello. <laughs> Turn and walk back out. It was kind of a cool <laughs> meeting with Ace. But he looked exhausted. And I, you figure, depending on when you run into them, you and know, it's that funny, was... It's funny sometimes that they think you want something. Like, I, I was in Kansas City, and Cheap Trick was playing outdoors, and I had to go back to my car for something. I met my trunk, and Robin Zander sitting on my trunk, <laughs> talking up two girls, and I'm like... Uh, I just kind of stood there, and finally he's like, do you want something? I'm like, yeah, I need to get into my car. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And I pulled a shirt out of my trunk, and he wore it on stage that night, hard and fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, move your rock star butt off my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop hitting on your fans. That's Let Alexis. Can car. you move over to the Chevy, please? <laughs> That's fine. But he got a T-shirt out of the deal. Yeah, then he threw it out, probably. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes, and that's actually something, there is a video online somewhere. My brother's band at the time was called Chainsaw Jane. Now they're clashing plaid. This is years and years ago. He gave Ace one of the shirts, one of their Chainsaw Jane shirts. There's a video of Ace wearing the Chainsaw Jane shirt. Now, I'm the only one listening to this story right now that's going, yeah, that's awesome. But, hey, maybe somebody's listening. The Hard so. and Fast shirt is in two videos if you search hard enough. Uh, sure. Trouble Tribe video. And Britney Fox Louder. Britney Fox Louder, yeah. Nice. Fantastic. So we're talking about that. Now, you talked about some of your early interviews. You did an interview with Ace. You did an interview with Eric Carr. Where does it go from there? Uh, next, I tracked down Peter Chris. Peter Chris. That's when, uh, gosh, 1985, he had just finished up with the Peter Chris Alliance. Right, right. And he was just starting up a band called Balls of Fire. And I called, and a little girl answered the telephone. And I assumed it was his daughter. And I said to her, I said, can I talk to your daddy? And then I heard her say, dad, telephone. <laughs> and then Peter got on. He's like, I'm really sorry. He says, you know, it was my daughter, Jenna Lee. Wow. You know, wow. So you just think, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, when you're a young kid, you're just like, everything's kind of cool. Anything has to do anything with Kiss. Exactly. And the fact that, I mean, was that his home phone number? I mean, you know. Yeah, I would call him at his house. And what was that interview like? Now, you had, you gotten, you had his home phone number. What's the interview like? Well, the interview was really nice. He was really excited to talk about his new band, um, what he had going on with that. He actually told me how much he loved Eric Carr, which was a lot of fun because a couple of weeks later I ran into Eric. I had the newsletter, and there was a picture of him and Peter that was taken at one of the NOM shows in L.A., and underneath of it we had the caption. that said, I love Eric Carr, Peter Chris. Eric took that from me, and he wrote right across it, 
Peter, don't shoot me, please. From so that, I, is that from that story that I had heard? Well, I, we won't get into that one. But I heard, I heard a funny story about. I think it was was it at a wedding and baptism. Was it baptism? Peter, Peter's yeah, daughter's so I, baptism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, that that is that is it for radio. <laughs> See, I know there are exactly some stories. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're going yeah. in the direction we're going to we go too inside go, for right? you people. Well, so that's an, and we always try and keep it positive. Yeah. Some of those things, you know. Hey, so that's that's really something. Now, how many years did you do the fanzine? I did that all the way up until uh, it was about six months before Vinnie Vincent's album came out. I was getting pretty close to Vinnie because I was talking to him almost on a weekly basis. We were calling, we were communicating, talking about stuff. And then Keith LaRue and I, we decided to kiss had uh, Kiss Asylum coming out. And we decided to put a full page ad in Faces Magazine for that. And at the same time, Vinnie was getting ready to release his debut album. So we put a full page in for his band as well. Then I ended up getting a call from Kiss's management, from Chris Lent. And he said to me, he says, David, he says, um, Paul saw the ad in Faces and he about fell out of his chair. I was like, oh, that's great. And he goes, what's so great about that? He says, what are you guys doing advertising Vinnie Vincent? Mm. I said, oh, I thought you were talking about the Kiss ad. <laughs> and that's one of the first lessons you learn in business is that here it was, we were doing something that was associated with Kiss and it probably wasn't the right thing to do with Vinnie. But at the same time, I just thought, you know what? We took this from not only a fanzine to a fan club. And I mean, we had thousands and thousands of members. We were taking full page ads out in Circus Magazine, Hip Prater. We were doing it all. We were going out. We were seeing the band. We were always invited backstage. They were always very cordial. They always gave us interviews, whatever we wanted. And I just thought, they're not paying for this. We are. And I was telling Vinny about it. And Vinny says, well, you know what? You should just leave that and come to my official fan club. So I was real good friends with uh, Vinny's manager, who happened to be George Suet. And George said, we would love for you to do this. And that's when I told him that I believed in this project so much and in what I could do with it that I actually sold my entire Kiss collection at that point. Wow. And that's how I funded the business. Hmm. And I started out with Vinny's band. Working with Vinny Vincent. And with that in mind, we're going to go into our 4 o'clock break. We're going to play a little bit of Vinny Vincent because we're also on that Valentine's Day romance mood. This is a song from, from Vinny Vincent Invasion. And you might have thought about this on Valentine's Day. Do you want to make love? On Mako Radio, where music and minds meet.
That's right, we're back, and I'm back here behind the control board here since Dave Tat walked down the hall. Um, we got some Vinnie Vincent invasion going on in the background. You're here at the second hour of the Kiss Room. We have Mike Natalini, Chris Giordano, David Snowden, Kim Snowden, and Alex Richter all with us. And joining us on the phone, if I can get this to work, will be Chris Zinzak from the Decibel Geek Podcast. Chris, are you there? Yeah, how's it going, Matt? Fantastic. Let me see if I can bring you up a little bit more. Okay, fantastic. So now the reason why we have Chris on the line, Chris does the Decibel Geek podcast. You can talk a little bit about where people can go, but we've been talking about Vinnie Vincent. Tell us a mm-hmm. little bit about your features with Vinnie Vincent. I, I've done stuff from Vinnie Vincent. I didn't know that. You know, tell us all about that uh, that feature that you have. <laughs> all right, we... We've done uh, four different Vinnie Vincent special episodes and um, have had a variety of people that have worked with him over the years to discuss his career and his his uh, crazy life. And um, we've had a huge response on it from a lot of KISS fans. So now I'm going to swing my mic back around here. Look at that. It's like, okay. So now a lot of it, what we were talking about, some of the first experiences working with bands. David worked with Vinnie Vincent. Alex, one of his first interviews was Vinnie Vincent. He had his sign that says, Vinnie is God. Now, a lot of the people that you have interviewed have had, you know, different level of experience interviewing with, uh, uh, let's see, did I kill his mic? There you go. Having worked with Vinnie. Um, tell us some of the highlights people can hear if they come to the Decibel Geek website to uh, find out more about Vinnie Vincent. Well, um, I guess one of the most memorable ones we have was the most recent one we had with uh, Robert Fleischman, who was the original singer for The Invasion. And um, Robert came on, and he definitely wanted to share everything that he remembered from working with Vinny. And can you hear me up there? It's cosmic. I'm getting, whoa, oh, there we go. Did we yeah. get it all? That was, that was wild. We were going through another dimension there. Wow, I think that's the meteor. I don't know what to the Twilight Zone, either that we're in the Twilight Zone or the Kiss Room is one or the other. So go ahead, Chris. But, uh, yeah, he uh, was a great guest, and he had a lot to get off his chest. He uh, recounted everything he went through with, as uh, David was mentioning, George Seward earlier, who was the manager of Vinny. And, um, you know, but it's also one side, you know, and we've always said on these specials that, you know, we would, I think everyone would love to hear from Vinny to hear his side of things. And that's the biggest shame is that, no, that he never comes out and talks, which I think we all would like to hear. You know, that's the funny thing. Really, he is very silent. You don't hear much of anything. Now, obviously, we're talking some of the first interviews these guys did, Vinny Vincent. Now, boy, you can't get him to talk. Didn't they have, um, I'm just, I'm just guessing, but didn't they have that lawsuit? A while back, and Vinny lost. I wonder if there was a, a silent clause in there somewhere. You know, <laughs> even if there was, it might be don't talk about Kiss. No, yeah. don't talk you know, ever again. Now Gene owns his vocal cords? I don't know. It could be. Uh, you know, it's like you never know. He's got everything He might else, think but. it's not even worth the trouble. I don't want any phone calls. You well, know? you know, and what we've all found out at some point, one phrase could start a war. He could say one thing 
and all, I just mean, start a war. I, and I'm, you know, I like I always appreciated Vinnie Vincent. I, I I always thought he was a talented guy, and so did Kiss. I mean, you know, he wrote some great songs for Kiss, even when uh, with Unholy and, and things like that. But I mean, at the Kiss convention in '95, I remember Paul went out of his way to pretty much trash Vinny and say like Vinny we don't even have anything here of Vinny Vincent you know because Vinny was like he never appreciated you he never wanted to be in this band it was always about him you know so he like it, it was really bitter I mean like what David was saying about like Paul being mad about the advertisement you know they really don't want Vinny to get any kind of recognition well, you know but he did give it, but he was a very big part of that period he helped them keep going he, he wrote some great songs and you know chris in some of the year interviews that you've done a lot of the people that talk about it they all kind of maybe said hey, look you can have a problem with this guy but he's super talented mm-hmm. that seemed to come across you know every one of the interviews that you have a lot of them these people say well you know i'd love to recommend this guy to you but i'm going to tell you right now it's probably going to be trouble Mm-hmm. You know, so now which which interview was that? I think you had one specifically. Where who was it that actually referred? That uh, would have been Adam Mitchell, and that was an actual interview I did for Podcast. So that's will that be on your site if people come to your site, or should they go to the dot com? That one would be podcast.com, but if you go to decibelgeek.com and just type in Vinnie Vincent in the search bar, you can find everything we've ever done on Vinnie. And we've done four specials, and we've also done a number of articles also. Fantastic. But, yeah, but we do, I mean, we do KISS stuff. We do non-KISS stuff. We uh, we have a, a new show we put out every single week. So that's everybody out there that's listening. We have this really kind of cool network of podcasts. I mean, we have friends like the Decibel Geeks. We have, obviously, the Podkist or Creatures of the Net. Or if you check out Strange Ways, that, those guys are like a party on the air. Kistry Science Theater. There's that new Three Sides of the Coin. is fantastic. Everybody doing these things. And, again, we started the show talking about the early fanzine, people that did these because they loved it. And now we have this ability to connect with each other and really sometimes to connect with the people that, are, that we're talking about, just like, you know, David talked about just walking backstage, going back and asking Ace. We had Lydia Chris. We had Bruce Kulik. It's nice because you can get these people that can talk right to their fans the way we are right now, talking worldwide on Monco Radio where music and minds meet. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. Anything? What's going on on uh, the Decibel Geek this week? Uh, this week we put out, uh, of course, being Valentine's week, we did a uh, For the Ladies episode and some of the best uh, power ballad and love songs you could hear. And then um, next week, oh, this is an exclusive for your listeners because no one knows this. We're doing a Kiss-related episode next week. It's going to be um, a show all about Kiss landmarks, and it's going to be with author Chris Epting, who also put out a Kiss-related book recently. Wow, that's fantastic. So that's all listeners of the Kiss Room. Make sure you check out the Decibel Geek um, they were doing a lot of the power ballads, things like that. One of the things we're going to do, we're going to go to one of the songs that got the most requests among ballads and Kiss love songs. And right away, I know this, Sabrina, Eileen both said this. Probably the greatest Kiss love song. That would be Beth in the Kiss Room where Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. Just a few more hours And I 
Kiss Room. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks to Chris for calling in. Um, one thing you can do if you go to thekissroom.com, check my links page. I have links to a lot of the cool podcasts, radio shows, some of the fanzines that are online. We had the, uh, which was the one we we're going to thank that promoted it. I know Kissopolis promoted this week. The Deuce News promoted it. The original fearsome foursome on facebook they promoted a lot of people really promoting this week we were really excited i'm thrilled to see people getting on board telling each other really again it comes down to it's all about just we're fans doing this we're fans doing this for the fans i really you know and appreciate My two facebook tuning in. fans tuned in i think see your two facebook <laughs> fans you know if you can uh, you know get all your friends even if it's just you and your dog which riley looks great in all the pictures so it's uh, riley needs a kiss shirt i just saw uh, lydia blaze just checked in the president of the Star Child Fan Club. I just seen her check in over there. <laughs> so she's got a shout out. Now here's what I want you all to do out there. We're going to give a poster away in a little bit. We're going to have a giveaway. I want you to write down the phone number. Ready? 215-619-7366. But I'm not going to have you call yet. Don't call yet. Or you won't win. 215-619-7366. We won't even pick it up until I tell you when. We're going to give away it's a Spirit of 76, one of the lithograph. It's beautiful. Tell us about it. Actually, what it is is I was hired to put that together uh, when Barry Levine was out licensing some of his stuff. So he sent me the original slide. I actually did the uh, Empire State Building one, did the Spirit of 76, and then another one called the Originals. And when I did the Spirit of 76, I put together a proof, and I did a little printout. It's not full size. It's about maybe 15 inches wide, 22, 23 inches long. 
And it doesn't have the flag background that the lithograph came out with because I never liked that. And my original proof that I did, just the black background. But I've had it all these years, and you asked for something to give away, so I brought it up with me. It's funny. I talked to David during the week and said, you know, if you have anything, you know, maybe you have 20 or something, you wouldn't mind you bring it up. And he says, uh, yeah, you know, but don't let my wife hear you say that because she's going to start packing the car. Kim, how do you feel about that? Well, I have to let him hold on to a few things. So, you know, I mean, actually, <laughs> when I moved in, he did get rid of quite a few kiss things. So, you know, but. Because that's love. I know. I know. You know, I mean, it's bad enough that, you know, when you know, we're trying to get cozy, like, later at night, I have to, you know, when I see the kiss go on, that's I know that. That's where the that, kiss condoms you know, come in. Get rid of you know, them, it, we might be a little romantic, but I'm like, really, to kiss? Really? But <laughs> kiss I, I, I know. It's yes, the, but I what, try so much harder when the kiss is <laughs> So, you know, but I, I like, you know, kiss. I'm learning to like them. At least, you know, when I first got into the car, he, you know, came on the radio and he asked me who was playing. And I just said, looked over at him with my cute smile and said, I don't know. And he said, don't make me pull this car over. And I said, and I was like, really? Well, now it's, I know it's Kiss. He says, who's playing? Because when he's serious like that, I know it's Kiss. Now he, now he tests me on the name of the songs. So if I don't know this song, he says, don't make me pull this car over. I mean, Sad thing is that it, you'll beat him up and he'll be inside I mean, the car. He has even taught the cat how to do the rock on. I mean, I will be sitting and making dinner and he'll be going, come on, look at me, mommy. Rock on. I mean, that's hysterical. The house is Kiss. See, now that's my cousin's Peter Chris shirt. But when you're teaching the cat to give the, the heavy metal, that's, that's really devotion. I know. But it's all, it's all in love and it's all David in David goes to the shelters looking for one that can stick his tongue out. <laughs> I mean, you know that he has converted me. I walked down the aisle to our wedding to forever, and we actually did our cake cutting to lick it up. Now nice. tell me, uh, he has not converted Woo! me. That's lick pretty- it up, yeah. lick it up. Well, that, that, that now, Does that bring back any memories for you? <laughs> but now, if you were to get married in the year 2013, would it be at the Kiss Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas? It would be on the Kiss Cruise. Oh, there you go. Oh. Hey, you know what? I'll see you there. You know what? Because we're destined to do that. It's a great <laughs> destiny location. And if you call your travel agent, I'm sure that they would arrange it for you. Yeah. you know, and that, now if I can ask Mr. Simmons to please send a check for the endorsement. <laughs> actually, he's going to send her a bill. But see, actually, now the funny thing, you should really, I wonder if they've thought of that. They could combine the Kiss Wedding Chapel with the cruise. There you go. Now, now who would could marry them at sea. Gene could marry them. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't be legal in any state, but you know, that'd be there's great. actually another uh, another star child that does weddings. His name's Steve Mitchell. He'll be on the Kiss Cruise doing that. Uh, he does like wedding uh, uh, renewals, vow renewals. He does. Uh, I think he does ceremonies at the uh, Vegas. Uh, That's okay. The guy, who, the guy who married us. He's a tattoo artist uh, from Deville Inc. He has a huge Gene Simmons cat tattoo on his uh, I thought you thigh. were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> that was that story I told you. You can't tell that on the air, but that's, you know, Alex. That's why Alex, uh, his magazine was called Hard and Fast. I said, you can't tell those stories on the air. You know, it's a community college here, so. In the Kiss Room. See, that's really interesting. And I know when, when you first came in today, we talked about that. But the uh, Kiss really does kind of invade all parts of your life. And sometimes people in your life say, oh, what are you listening to Kiss for again? But you know what? 
It's nice. You seem to have embraced it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> My old girlfriend in the '90s, she was like really like always fought me on on listening to Kiss and. Yeah, I finally broke her down, and like you know, we, this is around the reunion. <laughs> she actually, she actually came around enough to where she bought us tickets to go to the the Kiss convention in '95, and and then and we were we were both getting uh, crushed up against the stage because New York was a wild crowd, and we were like screaming up to Paul, Paul, help us, you know, and, and Paul's looking down, and he's like, don't make me come down there, you know, because these uh, these guys were starting trouble. But she came around, bought us tickets for that and the reunion in New York. She ended up uh, coming with us to that, but it was it was a little bit painful watching her trying to sing along and get into it. <laughs> but I mean, just the fact that she was there, like I felt and, like and you have know, a wonderful we're, time. Yeah, we're making uh, we're making a way here. We're making progress. You know. You know, it's funny. That was that the, you're talking about the convention in New York, Roseland Ballroom, yeah. 99. Okay, I'm going to tell you a funny story, and I think my wife is listening, and she will get a kick out of this. So, around that same time, there was a video. <laughs> Contest through Rip Magazine was you had to make a video for Unholy, which had just come out. And if you go to my YouTube page or if you go to the video page of the Kiss Room, I think it's on there. So we made this video and I think I can win and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, so supposedly it's judged by Kiss. At that Kiss convention, my wife somehow gets near the front, gets the microphone, and I have this on video. She says, Oh, yeah, we made these videos for this contest. Do you guys ever watch them? And of course, they're clueless. Like they, they had never watched the videos, but it was the greatest question. I'm in the back thinking, oh, Lord, that's the one question. And Bruce goes, well, could you send it to us? And Gene starts on this, look, we have a lot of contests. So I don't know. <laughs> but it was really funny. But I did win a poster, so it was pretty neat. Cool. But uh, yeah, she used to go with those things. We should go to the cruise, Amy, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Okay. So we're talking about all these things now. At some point, you took over. I, I talked earlier about being in the Ace Freely fan club. You talked about managing Ace's fan club for a while, Peter's fan club. Tell us a little bit about that. It was right before the reunion tour. Ace had a lot of problems with Rock Soldiers and the person that was uh, actually doing it. So he ended up firing that guy, and then he came to me, and he asked me if I could straighten it all out. And it was kind of a mess, but... Started working on it little by little, and we got it a little cleaned up. And that was right around the time, right before the reunion tour started. And at the same time, Peter was involved with TNT Records, and they had a fan club for Peter that was a total mess. So Ace and Peter were both managed, once again, by George Suet. George came to me and actually asked me to take over and to try to sort it all out and to figure it out because he, George didn't want any of the fans to feel like they were being ripped off. Now, do you remember, and I'm going to go a little off the track here, because over on the KissFact, um, the message board, if you're not familiar with KissFact.com, it's a phenomenal website, but there's a, a thread kind of ongoing about the um, one of Ace's kind of, you know, partners there in it for a while, that, uh, and, you know, he had his book, and I know we could say Gordon Gebert. Um, he had posted a long thread about how, you know, uh, feeling like he had really kind of been dissed by Ace at the end. And I remember having that letter that went out that said this whole thing about, oh, you know, rock soldiers, somebody's, you know, blah, 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 this and that and the other. And if you go on that website, you'll see there's some pretty heated threads. Were you picking it up after that? Like, it, it seemed like his Ace's fan club had kind of gone into disarray. And that was the vibe they were sending out. Again, this is back when everything came to you yeah, via a letter. That's when I got hired. To so you were picking up, up right after that. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anybody on the Kiss Fact, you know, if you're complaining about your Ace Freely fan club from before that got that letter, that wasn't David. So don't blame him. <laughs> 
So what kind of things, when you took over the fan club, like obviously you're sorting out, taking care of the details, what were the kind of things you were taking care of? Well, handling all the fan mail that wasn't answered, taking care of all the orders that weren't answered, and then trying to figure out who's supposed to go backstage and who wasn't. Because Ace was a visionary who knew that fans wanted to meet him. Right. And to pay $50 to go to a meet and greet, hell, that was worth it. Because that at the time, that's what it was for the $50. You got your dog tag, your Rock Soldiers dog tag, which I still have hanging on the door of my kiss room at home. I think it was a button. A button. And you got six or maybe, no, it was, it was a monthly newsletter. There was the monthly newsletter, and I still have the first one, which was autographed in silver marker by Ace. I have that and a poster they sent out that was autographed. It was pretty cool. And at the time, for 50 bucks, hey, that seemed like a good deal. You were getting these things. You were putting in his own personal photos. And again, it was, it was pre-internet. So these rare photos would show up, and you'd be like, oh, this is great. Like, here he is as a kid, and you know you never saw him. Now, put Google Ace Teenager. There's a thousand pictures. Yeah, At well, the by time, the time it got to the uh, end of the fan club, Ace was back in Kiss. The reunion was going on. And though his contract stipulated that it was okay for him to have his own fan club, Ace kind of wanted to just be finished with it. And at that point, he didn't really want to do interviews with it because he didn't want it to conflict with the Kiss thing. So I think the very last issue that I did, I think there was the interview with Eddie Kramer. So. And, and I believe there just... was a UPS strike too right then. <laughs> well, that's, and you're talking that's right up to when he went back into the band for the reunion tour. Mm-hmm. 96, 97. Because, see, that's, I always wondered if my Freely's Comet, you know, backstage pass would have got me backstage at the uh, reunion tour. No, I didn't think it was going to. So. No, what got me backstage was a pocket full of cash because I always owed Ace and Peter money. <laughs> they say, is David here? Oh, good. He owes us money. <laughs> oh, they were always very happy to see me. There was a couple great Sebastian Bach stories with that show. So, the reunion tour when so they played, tell us. they played Philly. David took me. Uh, David gave me a pass, I think, and we spent like an hour talking with George Sewitt before the show. And Sebastian Bach comes in loud. Drove down in the rain. He had a couple beers in all his pockets. Well, of course, and he apparently was loud. <laughs> he he tried to hug Peter, like tackle him in the hallway. And Sewitt was like, "Don't hurt him. What are you doing?" About an hour later, I look back, and it was, the, it was like the first show at the Core State Center. I look behind me, and there's, there's a big argument going on in my section. Apparently, uh, Sebastian fired up there, and when they told him to put it out, he said, you don't know who I am, and then a couple guys carried him out like a two-by-four. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he was back in two songs later, so yeah. it really didn't matter. I remember seeing him. like He would just like parade like whoever he was with, his, uh, Maria, whoever at the time. Would just, he would just parade her, and there's like walking with the, with the signs everywhere and with the devil horns up. You know, like like he was just a, like a fan like everybody else, you know? Yeah, what was always fun was to hear Sebastian backstage trying to imitate a singing cold gin. <laughs> You know, it's funny because you talk about that show in Philly at the Core States. The second night, it was the Wednesday. We had fourth row center for that. And and I'll say this because at the time, my friend worked at a Ticketmaster. And I was at work, and he calls me and says, hey, look, I didn't do too good on the tickets. Fourth row center, how's that? And, of course, he's put me on. like, That's great. And to see if we could curse, I would have just said, hey, that was but Hey, look, I'm not going to curse. That was a phenomenal show. And we talked about our memories of kind of KISS history. That was fantastic. Seeing them up close, that close, and there it was, the reunion. They were fired up, and that was really, those, those reunion shows yeah. were something. Well, for me, the reunion show. show was like, it was like four years after I saw Revenge in a club. Right. 
And um, you know, you, 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 sometimes you think, well, oh, you're, you're at the show in Philly for yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Was that was crazy. Yeah, that, we were talking about that last. We show. talked about that last month because yeah. uh, uh, we all started. Uh, we won Kiss Chant and Shooting Gallery had no chance at all, and and the singer was all crying. They about. actually had a meet and greet at the at a hotel across the street. I know I showed up late. I only saw Kulik. I don't think Paul even showed up. But um, you know, you go to the show and you think, ah, you know, I've seen Kiss a million times. I'm just going to go to the show. I'm really not that even into going. I'm just going to the show. And you hear all the songs, and you're just like, where have I been, you know? Why didn't I come back last tour, or this tour, or next tour? Mm-hmm. And they're just time. And it's like every one, you know? It's not like you go to a song, someone plays a new song, and you go get a beer. What was cool about uh, that period, Revenge, is like, you know, that's like when they brought 100,000 years back. And, like, had, no one had heard that in years. And, like, and, and you know, Paul did the, what was the intro he did about the, uh, this was about time travel, and everybody went like, "Oh my God, they're gonna do a hundred thousand years," you know, and, and like it was just like so cool to hear some of them songs that they just like forgot about. Yeah, and that years, was just like know? that was like what a ten city promo tour. Yeah, I guess I think it was you know warm up Eric mm-hmm. and you know whatever. Yeah, David sale. and I saw the show at the Ritz down in, in New York City. Yeah, and it was. Dirty Looks just took a brutal beating two nights in a row. Yeah. No one wanted to hear Dirty well, Looks. Well, you're talking about what Matt had said, like sitting fourth row in the center. That's such a big show. That sitting fourth row, I don't think you get such a good perspective. Right. Maybe if you go back to like 20 rows back, you can actually see the whole spectacle of what Kiss is. When you're close enough to see them right in the eyes. Well, and I've been lucky, and I know you've had very good seats because you showed me your photos. But when you're that close that you can actually see them in the eyes while they're playing, nothing like it. Well, I'd say I, I helped Gene with um, getting him a whole bunch of pictures for Kistory 2, all the merchandise stuff that had taken over the years. And he wanted to thank me, so he invited me to a show up, up here in Philly, and he gave me fifth row center, which when you looked up, all you saw was the little hole in the platform because it was in the blood seats. And the guy that I went with, I said to him, when God of Thunder started, I said, move out of the way. And, of course, the girl in front of us had no clue mm. <laughs> and started screaming when he started spitting on top of her head. See, now that's something you didn't know before. You didn't know what a band was going to open with or but what no, kind what, of gimmicks And what year is that? Because is that where he flew? Remember, Philly, he flew that to the was, platform and spit from the top. Yeah, Psycho Circus. Right, and that was, that was rare. He usually did the gimmick and then flew. And we talked about that, I think, last yeah. time, was that he, did the, he flew, then did the blood gimmick mm. down onto the crowd. I always took that as that was Gene's warped sense of humor in thanking me for helping him <laughs> or something. He was looking right at you. That's, he had put you there on purpose. All right, well, I'll tell you what. What we're going to do is we're headed into our 4.30 break. I just told you the phone number, 215-619-7366. I'm going to play a track. It's a demo from, nineteen, I think, 1984. What you need to do, you need to call in, tell me who is singing this song, okay? It's perfect for our Valentine's Day theme. I want to thank Tatiana, who sent me this. There's always cool stuff floating around, and all KISS fans like to spread the fun things around. Play this track. If you're out there listening, tell me who it is. It's real easy, but you might not know this song. You're listening to the KISS Room on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet.
What do you think of that now? How about that? Now, when you think about it, right as we started playing the song, everybody's saying, now, is this Frank Stallone? Is it Journey? <laughs> yeah. now, on the line, we have a winner. Who do we have on the line? Robert Knapp. Robert Knapp. And where are you calling from? Pearl, Mississippi. Mississippi. Woo! Now, tell us, who is the mystery man singing that song? That is Peter Chris. Peter Chris, believe it or not, that is Peter Chris. Robert, you are the winner. Yeah, winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> you got a, an official Chris G winner, winner. That's pretty, pretty great. So Dave got all your info. We're going to send out that poster to you. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Tell all your friends about the Kiss Room. And now I'll David, we're talking about that was Peter Chris Alliance. That's his, his as he's getting out of Kiss. He's trying to find his way. He's putting together a band. You had a little story about that. Well, when I first interviewed Peter, it was right after the Peter Chris Alliance. And what we had talked about during break was um, several years went by and it was probably around, when was it that Stan passed away? Do you remember Stan Pentrance? Well, either way, a um, couple years back, uh, there was a contract that was on the internet. It was Peter Chris's Kiss contract from the reunion tour. And Stan was actually the one who bought it because he was looking to see if there was any clause in there so that he could perhaps go after Peter for any back royalties. Wow. And as it turns out, the contract was listed as being 46 pages, but it was only 45. Nasty letters back and forth with Stan and eventually just said, you know what, this is not worth dealing with. And then Stan ended up passing away a few months later. Mm. But that's interesting Sam yeah. story. Interesting. Wow. So that was Peter Chris Alliance. Congratulations to Robert listening in Mississippi. Just nice one segue that. from chicken. Well, you know, chicken, chicken, winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's fantastic. <laughs> I said that. I, th I think we did that. I, one of the last shows I did that, and somebody said, that was great when you did winner, winner. As I said, that's well, what I thought of it. Well, see, we, in, in December, if you listened to our December episode, we gave away all kind of stuff. I might have been Now, that. this one we gave away to our listeners that are live. Now, I know a lot of you are out there. You're listening via the download, or you're listening later on your Podomatic or whatever. I'm going to put up a contest where I'm going to give it away via email, something else that we have. And so if you check thekissroom.com on the winning, winners page, you can find that. I'll post all those links. That way, those of you who are listening later, you're thinking to yourself, oh, but Matt, I was at work. I couldn't listen live. Well, hey, we love you too. We're going to have that up there as well. We'll give away something else cool. We'll do it as an email contest because we love it when people are so tuned into the Kiss Room. So anyway, you moved into that kind of thing. You had been working with them on their fan clubs. And then... You had moved into having one of the biggest Kiss merchandise stores that, that was out there. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, it was uh, kissshop.com. It was uh, probably one of the very first internet-based uh, Kiss merchandise ones. I started out, it was all mail order first. But then when the internet was coming up, it was only natural to go right into the internet. Um, and I did that for a lot of years. We had a lot of people that worked at the house. I mean, it was kind of nuts. We had uh, 27 people at one point working at the house. And there was Kiss stuff everywhere. The garage, the spare bedroom, my office. It was even in our bedroom. In the living room, the dining room, the basement. It was, uh, it was a really, really crazy time. And uh, I did that all the way up until it was about the middle of the reunion tour that I finally figured I'd had enough. Had enough. And, and you said to me earlier you wanted to sell it and go out on top while you were still on top. And that was a Paul Stanley quote, right? Yeah. I guess what was interesting <laughs> about it was is that I started out in 83 with Keith LaRue. And in 2000, who bought KissShop.com but Keith LaRue. And a couple months after I sold it, then the band went over to Australia. They started to do some shows, but Eric Singer was filling in. And I got a call from a New York radio station. They were doing um, a big radio show on Kiss, but it had to do with the fact that Eric Singer was in Peter Chris's makeup because that was the big controversy. Now I think we've all just accepted the fact that we have four characters that are up there. It doesn't matter who it is. Some have accepted that. Some. That if, depending yeah. on which message board you go on Bring back to, the hawk. I was going to say, that's, uh, that's, pro- that's probably a whole other show. Okay, obviously is- not the people in this room have accepted it. <laughs> no, but- no, no, we did. It's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, some people think that they still to have new characters and all. That's never going to happen. Yeah, but um, I mean, I understand why they keep with the same characters. People identify with them. But when I did that uh, radio show, show interview, the, the guy had asked me, he said, I understand that you just sold KissShop.com to somebody. He says, what made you decide to do it? And I said, I guess to kind of paraphrase what Paul Stanley always says, I wanted to go out on top, but I wanted to do it before I called in substitute players. Right. And the guy thought that was really funny, and then they run into some Kiss songs. And And then uh, David left, and I got no more birthday presents to furnish my house with. Well, you know, that's, that's something we were talking about earlier, and we were talking about different things that you've bought. Now, you mentioned in what year you bought your Kiss pinball machine for $300? Wow. 1982, I believe it was. If anybody has a Kiss pinball machine they want to sell to me for $300, go to thekissroom.com and let me know. Probably won't happen. That's something that clearly went up in value, to say the least. So what are you really working on as far as when you moved out of selling the Kiss shop when did you kind of? Well, who was the last one that you really worked with as far as the promotion? You work with just about everybody. Um, well, I do a lot of different things with bands, but as far as Kiss related, uh, the last thing that I did was Lydia Chris's book. Um, that was around 2002, I believe it was. Lydia had an editor and a publisher who was going to put out her book, and he called me up and he asked if he could come down and bring all this stuff because he wanted to know if I could photograph it, scan it, clean it up, make it really look nice and so i said okay and he packed up his car him and his girlfriend they drove down and they literally had eight or nine boxes full of all of lydia's scrapbooks <sighs> negatives slides everything you could possibly imagine and they brought it in i was going through all this stuff i started to scan it in started to do all that then the publisher went bankrupt and lydia had nothing to do I called Lydia up, and I said, Lydia, look, I have all your stuff. And I wanted to give it back to her. And we started to talk about it and um, ended up helping her out quite a bit with the book. I mean, she mentions me a few times in the book. 
Um, ask her not to do it by name. But um, there's a point in the book where she talks about the person that was hired to actually scan the stuff in and take the pictures and whatever came up to her house with another guy with a computer and a camera, and we took all these pictures, and we downloaded them, and we sat in her living room for almost a full day, and we did that. And then a few weeks after that, she drove from New York down to Baltimore. She brought even more stuff, which just totally amazed me that, I mean, she, Lydia has literally saved everything. I mean, she had original blueprints to the Kiss Alive 2 stage show, Mm. which was just phenomenal. But stuff like that didn't make it into the book because of copyright issue. Um, But a lot of this stuff, and I mean, even when you look at Lydia's book, I mean, that is the ultimate Kiss scrapbook. You know, if if you're a Kiss fan, I'm sure you're aware of it, but it's called Sealed with a Kiss. And if you go to LydiaChris.com, you really do need to buy the book. It's amazing. Her book is fantastic. And, and again, we talk about this, the idea of seeing those early pictures and how you never got to see them. If you want to see them, get her book. They're all in there. And I remember she, that, one, that one picture with uh, Paul. I think he's jumping off the balcony into the swimming pool. Right. I mean, it's like, when do you get to see that? You know? And she had such a unique vantage point to be able to record things just the way, hey, look, she was out with Peter just taking pictures. Look, this is an exciting time in their life. But now we're able to really see, and, and I was able to get a copy of it from her at the convention one year, and you sit there kind of just marveling over it. Now, in a way, you almost look at it and say, well, this was just their life at the time. Have you seen the second edition? I didn't see the new one yet. I did 16 additional pages for and basically the 16 pages are all these tour dates that Peter had done from the time she met Peter all the way up until the January 30th show. Mm. And mm. if you start looking at some of those dates, which kind of interesting is... It starts off with the um, sounds of soul and lips, and you have all these other different bands. But in between, Peter was gigging with Kiss and these other bands. And what made it really nice is Lydia just always seems to find stuff. She had a picture from the very first night that Kiss got the first lit sign, and she had given it to me to, to scan, and it actually had their signatures on it from 1973, which was just amazing to see those signatures in the book. Look. Most of them don't look anything like their signatures now. And then she had a bunch of pictures from the August 10th show back then, um, which I think was one of the first shows the Bill of Coin went to. But she had a lot of pictures backstage. I mean, so it's kind of tough to ask people to keep buying the same thing over and over. But for the extra 16 pages, it's actually kind of neat just to see those few extra pictures right. and to be able to chronicle that history of how, yeah, he might have been in Kiss, but he was also playing with a whole lot of other people. To keep them going. And the first run of her book, apparently, she had run out. She sold them all. So mm-hmm. the fact that now, if you didn't get it, you're getting more content. And it really is a fantastic book. So uh, that's Seal with a Kiss. Go to LydiaChris.com. That really is fantastic. So what are some of the other things? Like, you know, we talked about the, um, you know, again, this is something we talked about earlier was you start out as a fan. And then you get to know them on a more personal level and then even a business level. And you had shared with me, which we won't go into the, uh, the specifics, but a fax from Gene himself that was maybe, you know, not real nice. And, and here's your, you know, band that you love. And now you know them as a person. How does it make you feel when you think about that eight-year-old that's watching Pauline Halloween special thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. Where has this been all my life? And then you get a fax that says, David, Well, I mean, you have to be able to separate business and personal. And that's really the bottom line. Business is business. 
but and what you like personally, you, you, you can't mix the two. And, I mean, I can listen to the band and I can enjoy the music, but I don't have to think about the business. It's like the first time that I talked to um, Eric Carr's sister, Loretta had called me. We were talking about doing some T-shirts and putting that out there. And she didn't know me. And she says... I know that my brother had always spoken very highly of you, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And we started talking about it. We were talking about how much it would cost, what she would sell them to me for, and that sort of stuff. And then she said to me, you're not a fan of the band, are you? And I said, no, it's my favorite band in the world. I said, but this is business. And if you're going to be talking to me about money, money's money. <laughs> you know, if I want to listen to Kiss, I'll put that on after I finish talking to you. But right now, if we're talking money, it's, it's a totally different thing. So... I mean, you just, you learn to separate the two. And I kind of learned that early on, I, I think, with my experience, especially with Vinnie Vincent's band, because so many crazy, wacky things had went down back then that uh, you, you learn to separate the two. Otherwise, you're just going to go insane. And, you know, it's interesting because especially you've had unique experiences being able to interview so many of these people very up close. And Alex as well, with really having the chance to kind of meet them on a different level than just standing out with your sign saying Vinny is God, which is great. But then you move beyond that and you get to kind of meet them on that level. That's, I think that's part of the story that's so interesting. And when you think about it, the separating the business and the music. So many people are consumed with Kiss should do this or Kiss should do that or they should do this, they should do that or this guy should be the makeup. When it comes down to it, that's their decision, not ours, but the music. Man, we still love it. Well, and the music to me is really the most important thing. The most important thing. It's Amen. great to go to a show and see a guy spit blood, you know, shoot fire out of his mouth, fly up to the lighting rig, watch all the explosions. But without any good songs, it's just not going to happen. Amen. I think that's really something that, you, that we take away from a lot of it is that when you really think about it, it all comes down to that first song that you heard. I always say, look, it's blood in my veins. You know, you hear the start of even like Detroit Rock City or something like that. Boy, if you don't start kind of exactly get up, want to move your feet, kind of, boy, maybe it's trying to find something new. But the, no. uh, you know, it's Alice it's, Cooper says it. You do, you got a great show. Where are the songs? Exactly. No, no, we got this theatrical. We do this. He goes, yeah, where are the songs? Right. Now, before you go, and all you guys should chime in on this, can, can you guys explain to my wife that this is a kiss world and we just live in it? <laughs> absolutely. Right. It's absolutely right. 24 Kim, 7. How do you it's all feel about, about that, Kim? Kiss, miss, kiss, theory. It's all about kiss. David. It's now a Kimmy world, and that's where you live. Now, come on. I have brought Kiss into my life. I accept it. So I do like Kiss. Okay. When Dave I goes really up to do. his Kiss room, Kim yells up there, and Davey goes, Kim, I hear you calling. <laughs> I like that. I've accepted it, it, Kim in my life. I listen my to toys. that a lot. You know? <laughs> Come on, uh, I, I danced. For goodness sake, my daughter has even brought me into. Now, what were you talking about earlier? Um, Gene being in his red pajamas. Right, right. Okay, so I come home from work, and my daughter's watching. Oh, help me. Gene Simmons, the Family, family Jewels. Jewels. Oh, yeah. Lord, and help me. So what, what, what has come into my life is David and Kiss and, you know, rock and roll all night and party every day in Detroit Rock City and that wonderful movie oh that Kiss was a great movie right oh the detroit the detroit rock detroit city rock movie city. oh my yeah. lord was that yeah. a movie thanks hon and so <laughs> and that didn't even deserve popcorn so um kiss will never do a but, disco song right <laughs> that's yeah it's great but so we are um she's watching that and so i'm like going 
oh, he's kind of normal. You know, she, we meet Shannon, we meet the kids, we meet all of them. And I'm like, they're, and the son's even kind of awkward. So I was like, wow, she's into it. He even buys the series on videotape, so we're all watching it. <laughs> so I make the recommendation, let me welcome you to my kiss world. Because he owns Phantom of the Park, right? <laughs> she can she looked at me, and we watched it. And she said, really, Mom? And I said, it's Kiss. And <laughs> she just said, wow, wow, because she couldn't believe it. And that's all that matters. And I think in the end, and they're going to turn and kiss because it's our Valentine's Day episode, and that was so sweet. But we're out of time. But in the mm. end, the takeaway is it's a Kiss world, and we all live here. We're going to play a couple more songs. I want to thank Mike Natalini, Chris Giordano, David Snowden, Kim Snowden, Alex Richter, Dave Tat over on the board. We're going to play you out with a couple songs. I want you to stay tuned to Radcast. If you stay tuned all night, you got the Radcast coming up next. If you stay tuned after them, you have the Heavy Metal Power Hour. Again, they will take requests. You wrote down the number to try and win the poster. We, it's the same request line that we use for our giveaways that you can call in for requests. Robert won the poster earlier. That's fantastic. We're going to take you out with a couple songs. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Tune in again next month. Check out thekissroom.com for more info. Couple of these songs coming up. This next one was requested for Valentine's Day, by the way, by Sean Rocks, my friend out in Butte, Montana. He does his own metal show every week. You can find the link on thekissroom.com. Maybe, you know, this is the way that your uh, Valentine's Day went because not everybody loves Valentine's Day, but we love you in the Kiss Room on Monaco Radio where music and minds meet.
just burn.